Hello one and all, and welcome to this Zen episode of the Logan Blackman Show. I have a candle lit right next to me because I'm a little unhinged at this moment in time. Why, you might ask, I, why, Logan, why are you unhinged at this point in time? Well, I will tell you, I had Culver's for lunch. And for those of you who are unaware of what that means, is that I might be making some weird noises throughout the duration of today's episode of the Logan Blackman Show, and I apologize for that. I'm trying to be as zen as possible at the start of the show, so I can calm down the noises, the rumblies on the inside as much as I humanly can. And Culver's is one of those places where it's delicious. You feel you love eating Culver's. I don't think I've met a single person who dislikes Culver's. It's a pretty standard fast food joint. Very good food. Not always consistent in how you order it. They're pretty, you know, inconsistent on how they bring out the right thing. Like today, my sister ordered a Sierra Mist. They gave her a root beer. So stuff like that. But it's delicious. The food's always good. And those these types of food places, and I think you know the ones that I'm talking about here, Culver's, Taco Bell, Arby's, Canes, the food places that taste good, but make you feel absolutely disgusting in times. And I know it was a little controversial to say Arby's in that conversation as well, because of the fact Arby's kind of sucks ass. Kind of. I know people that absolutely despise Arby's. It is not a place you go to treat a loved one. That is a place where you go, I'm having a pretty crap day today. So you know what? What could make it even worse? Arby's. Or you know what? On second thought, what could make me forget about my crap day and think about the crap that I'm going to have later in the day and make me feel absolutely gross about myself with roast beef Sweat coming out of my sweat. My sweat smells like roast beef now. Their curly fries are fantastic, but they're pretty, um, garbage. Canes is delicious. I love Canes, but Canes always gives me some weird feelings. I never feel grocery eating anywhere else but Canes because of how much grease there is everywhere. It's so unfortunate because it's so good. And then Taco Bell. We all know about the Taco Bell bathroom breaks that take place about... 10 to 15 minutes after you take Taco Bell or in, in, inhale Taco Bell because there's no such thing as savoring Taco Bell. You eat it in five minutes or less because it is gets once you get past that five-minute threshold, it starts to get bad. That's what your intestines look like after you eat Taco Bell. And you should know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, did I enjoy my fair share of Taco Bell while at William Penn? Yes, I did. Did I go in midnight Taco Bell runs with my roommate Brett while we were both concussed and had nothing else to do? Yes, I did. Why did I do that, you might ask? Because I had nothing to do. You know what's better when you have nothing to do? Not working out, not playing any sports, not doing any physical activity? Eating like absolute dog shit. That's how you eat things at <laughs> when, you're, when you're sorry. I'm trying to stay zen right now. Remember, Logan, and remember, audience, that when you eat Culver's or Arby's or Taco Bell or Cane's or, I don't know, something else along those lines, those levels of food that makes you feel good for about a second and then you're like, wow, I just ate a lot of food in a very fast time. My stomach is not going to agree with me, especially when you don't have, you know, water 
to drink because Lord knows you ain't getting water when you're going to Taco Bell, Canes, Culver's, or Arby's. No, 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 no. And Arby's especially because Arby's has those ridiculously large drinks. Like you don't know how they could make cups that big or how it's legal to make cups that big. You thought all fast food joints are like, screw the big, big, big cups after Super Size Me came out. You were forced to watch that at school. Arby's stayed true to what they know, and they still sell ocean meat and stuff like that. It makes you feel uncomfortable just reading what is on the menu. <sighs> I am bigger than Culver's. Culver's will not take me down. Culver's, yes, you are delicious, and yes, I eat you, not on a consistent basis, but I eat you quite a bit. You will not overtake me. You will not overpower me. This is pretty relaxing right now. I've got my headphones on and I'm feeling relaxed listening to myself talk about how I'm not going to die from eating Culver's or Cane's, Arby's, or Taco Bell. You are stronger than that. Do not let the food take you down. And this has been Zen Master Logan. And I thank you for listening to this TED Talk, I guess. I don't know if this is a TED Talk or not. It's not really. This is my ASMR show, I guess. Very quiet. I'm looking at the audio picking up right now, and it's very quiet. I don't know if it's just louder in my headphones or if it's loud for you listening. I don't know. I might boost the audio after this show is done because I don't know what this sounds like on GarageBand. So I apologize if this is very quiet, but you're going to have to crank this up because I'm going to start yelling at you in a little bit. No, I'm sorry. That's not very zen. That's not very zen of me. So I hope you weren't turning it all the way up to hear me yell at you and you're going to have your ears blown off. No, I apologize for that. I have a candle out. I'm relaxed. I've watched sports all weekend. I hung out with family all weekend. I had a, ate a Peruvian restaurant. It was all good. All calm weekend. Yes, absolutely calm weekend. Yes. Breathe. <sighs> Not mouth breathe, Logan. Nose breathe. Calm. Calm, 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 calm. I hope you are all enjoying this weekend, or enjoyed your weekend, and I hope you're excited for another awesome week and another awesome edition of the Logan Blackman Show, because we got a crap ton of stuff to talk about today. This is how, I feel like I'm on NPR right now, National Public Radio. What if it didn't stand for that? What if it stands for something completely different, and I just said that and sounded super confident when I said that, but it's really not said that, like that. Huh. I'm looking at my box of Josh's Jacks in the corner, and it's giving me motivation for today's show. Man, if only we could live our days like Josh Allen. Fun fact, did you know QB rush touchdown since 2019? Josh Allen has 17, ironically, because that's his number. More than Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, Cam Newton, Ryan Tannehill, and Deshaun Watson. Did you know Josh Allen has more career rushing touchdowns than Saquon Barkley? It's intriguing to think about. Did you know Josh Allen is one of eight QBs in NFL history with 4,500 passing yards, 30-plus passing touchdowns, and 10 fewer interceptions, 10 or fewer interceptions? It's along with Tom Brady, who's done it four times. Screw him. We don't count him. Peyton Manning twice, Matt Ryan twice, Ben Roethlisberger, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and then, of course, Josh Allen. This has been your TED Talk again. And I hope you're really zen today, and I hope those facts about Josh Allen made you even made you feel even better about today's show. We got more quarterback stuff to talk about today. As I said on Friday, we've got a whole thing of quarterback comparisons for the 2022 NFL Draft. I know it is still June, 
It's almost July, which is freaking crazy to think about it. Like I blinked and then all of a sudden we're in 2021 and now we're in freaking July. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. We'll get back to a normal show. I apologize. I thought that'd be kind of fun to do. I don't know. I am struggling with Culver's right now. Culver's is not really agreeing with me in my stomach at this point in time. And I would really appreciate it if Culver's talk about Arby's and Cane's. I don't eat Arby's all the time. I haven't had Arby's in a fairly long time. I can't really remember the last time I had Arby's. Try to forget the last time you had Arby's. Try to. I think the last time I had it was I was when I was in Cedar Falls. I ate with Spencer and Christian came in. Spencer's roommate in front of ours from high school comes in and he talks about how bad Arby's is. And he's right. It's bad. But you know what? I didn't hate myself until about a half hour later. And then I looked at the, the carnage sitting in front of me. The boxes from the, the number three roast beef sandwich, which is the max roast beef sandwich. If you want to feel even more depressed about yourself, Logan, remind yourself, you ate a max roast beef sandwich. You know how bad you feel after eating a max roast beef sandwich? You feel pretty bad about yourself. So I would recommend not doing that. Okay? Don't do that. Don't go to Culver's and get Mountain Dew. That's another bad idea. Because you're already eating a bunch of garbage. It tastes good. Culver's is one of the better fast food restaurants in my opinion, but it always sits in my stomach weird after I eat it. We're not even going to go over Cane's. Cane's is delicious. I don't want to bash some delicious Texas toast, delicious sweet tea, delicious chicken, but it makes me feel gross about myself afterwards. And you got like four menu items. I'm sorry. Sorry, 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 sorry. But yes, that was our Zen edition of the Logan Blackman Show, the intro. I do have a candle, actually, in front of me. Our basement kind of stinks right now. Bear, our dog, is having some uh, downstairs plumbing issues, I guess we could call it. Is that the most PC way I could say that? Plumbing issues, I guess. They're having uh, Yeah, that's about as far as I'll go with it. But as I said when talking about Josh Allen's stats... You, we're going to talk about quarterback comparisons there. Remember, I talked about that on Friday. We have actually completed the list to, some, to a certain extent. I'm going to edit it a little bit before we release it when this show comes out. So you'll be reading the entire thing. Hopefully by the time this show gets published and put on social media and all that stuff. So make sure you go and follow me uh, on all forms of social media. Logan Blackman on Twitter. Logan underscore Blackman. Blackman Logan on Instagram. The Logan Blackman Show 1 is the show's Instagram account. You can find that in the bio of my Instagram account. Like the Facebook page. Just search Logan Blackman Show. Subscribe to the YouTube channel and go and follow the Apple Podcast and Spotify account. Search the Logan Blackman Show on those platforms. And yes, I would love it if you did follow me because by the slim chance <laughs> you listened to this show and didn't follow me on social media because I like to have the idea in my head that the, most, the majority of people that listen to this show are people that I know and people that follow me on social media. If you don't follow me on social media and you just listen to Friday's show and you heard the Euro 2020 knockout predictions that I did, the predictions I released on social media are different than the ones that I made on the show. And good Lord, I'm happy I changed them to a certain extent. Because today, <laughs> Sunday, January, or Sunday, June... 27th, the Netherlands got absolutely played off the pitch by the Czech Republic. Didn't help that Matthias De Ligt got a red card, and I, we were watching the game. My dad and I are sitting there in the living room. I go, oh, wow, that might be a red. That probably should be a red. Gets a yellow card, and then they review it. Oh, yeah, they're going to give him a red card. Game over. After that, Czech Republic didn't, didn't take a foot off the gas at once. The Netherlands had a couple good chances. 
Mullen screwed up a chance. One-on-one with the goalkeeper. Got it absolutely... Screwed it up. I just say it like that. Dutch really didn't put much forth a threat to the Czech Republic, and they took advantage of it. In the predictions that I made on the show, I said the, the Dutch would make it to the final. But I looked at that and I was like, that looks stupid. I'm not even confident in saying that. I don't know why I had them going to the final, let alone why I had them beating the Danes, because... Well, I know why I had them beating the Danes, but hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, and I love looking back at things in hindsight. You know how much I've complained about hindsight throughout the history of my show. But in my original predictions, I had Denmark going all the way to the semifinals. Sitting here now, I think that's going to happen. I don't know why it didn't go with them in my predictions. I think I was just scared because they absolutely bossed Wales. Bossed Wales for nothing. Their last two games, they've won by a combined score of 8-1. to one. They are murdering people right now. Now, granted, it's Russia and Wales. Not really a murderer's row of teams, but from what they've overcome in that first game against Finland to now, I'd be kind of scared to play Denmark. And they've got great players. It's not like they lost Christian Eriksen and the whole team is downhill from there. No, that's what Wales would do if they didn't have Gareth Bale. That's the situation we'd be looking at. Or Poland with Robert Lewandowski. But even when he's there, they're not even that good because they're so reliant on him, it hurts the team. And we've talked about that. And I just like saying it because it's exactly how I said it would happen. Poland become too reliant on him. No way they finish above Sweden. And that's what happened. They were too too reliant on him. And they came in last. They became behind Slovakia in the group. They lost to Slovakia. Who have, what, one good player, Milan Skriniar? That's it? I lost to them? It's just fun. I always like rubbing it in when I say something that not a lot of... Like having Turkey come in last in the group when all the hipster people are going like, oh, Turkey's going to go and win, come in second in the group, make a possible run in the tournament. Nope. They scored one goal. <laughs> they were they had no threat going forward. Hakan Chalanoglu was played out of position the entire tournament, played on left wing. He's a number 10. Needs to be either playing as number 10 or number 8. Yilmaz is 36. Wouldn't have been in the team if Lille did not win league on this year. They have two good defenders. Their goalie's a question mark. What was confident about Turkey going on this? I don't know. We're not here to talk about the losers of the tournament, Turkey and Poland. Knockout stage. And I'm sorry, Denmark. I should have had more confidence in you going into this. Because I knew you'd... Be- I was pretty confident saying they beat Wales. At least I think I was confident when I said that. I should have had my confidence stay. I should have stayed with my confidence over the Netherlands. And it was hard watching the Netherlands in the group stage. The only tough game they had was against Ukraine, and they really blew that one. They should have won that game easily. And they let Ukraine come back into the game too with two goals that pretty much came out of nowhere. And I think I was blinded by that and forgot the fact that Frank DeBoer is their manager. And. They have Martin Stecklenburg in goal. I wasn't confident in Martin Stecklenburg. I said that during the tournament, the the preview video that we did. That I'm not confident in Martin Stecklenburg. I'm not confident in the fact that Virgil Van Dyke is not there, even though Matthias Delict, Daly, Blind, Stefan Devry are all very good defenders. They're not tying the shoe of Virgil Van Dyke. That's not even close. The best center back in the world at this point in time. Would the Dutch have lost the Czech Republic if he's there? Not at all. Their first goal they scored in the game. 
Do you really think Czech Republic scored that goal if Virgil van Dijk is there? A header across the box? Do you think if Jasper Sillison's in net, he makes that error Martin Stecklenburg did and tries to go out for a ball that he has zero chance at getting and then realizes it as the ball is leaving Callis' head? No. Jasper Sillison and Virgil van Dijk vastly improved that Dutch team, and they missed him. They really missed him. And I don't like how Jasper Sillison was actually, like excluded from the entire tournament. Like You've seen like Sergio Busquets had COVID, Mason Mount, Ben Chilwell have had, they were in close contact with Billy Gilmore of Scotland who got COVID. Mason Mount and Ben Chilwell aren't playing in the next game against Germany, which is a huge loss for England. I'm interested to see who plays at the number 10 spot where Mason Mount was. Do they keep it going with Jack Grealish? Or do they go with the Phil Foden and put Jack Relish on one of the wings? Or do they put Phil Foden on the wing? Or do they keep Saka in, who played very well against the Czech Republic in England's last game? Or do they go with Rashford and Jaden Sancho? I don't know what they're going to do. Chilwell, he wasn't going to start anyways. He's basically the third-choice left-back for England at this point in time because Kieran Trippier started that first game for England. He's he's above Chilwell in the pecking order right now for left-back. And I'd even argue that even Bakayo Saka is above Chilwell in the left-back order right now, and he's not even left-back. He's like a utility player, but a good utility player at that. But I don't like how Sillison was just completely kicked off the team because of that. Like, Busquets is back and playing. Would Sillison have been back and playing by the time Game 2 came around? Probably. He got eliminated from the squad right before the tournament even started. So, Busquets, who got COVID, like, or got tested positive for COVID, like, the day of... Spain's game, or around the same day, Spain's first game. I don't remember how it all worked out. I'm sorry. I didn't really pay. I I remember a little bit. I think we might have talked about it during my video. I don't know. Sorry. I don't go back and watch my videos that often. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. But, yeah. The Dutch missed those two players, and it showed. Dumfries had a very nice tournament playing at right back. I'm really surprised that Patrick Van Onholt started every single, at least I think he started every single game for the Dutch at left wing back. I don't know. They've got good players, but they just got absolutely played off the pitch against Czech Republic. Genie Wijnaldum, I think, completed, what, 10 passes in the game against Czech Republic, played the entire 90 minutes. Memphis Depay was nothing in this game, really. Mullen had really the ch big chance for the Netherlands. Great touch by Memphis Depay to set it up, but didn't lead to anything. Mullen absolutely fluffed it. I don't know if that's his age. He's one of the younger players in the Dutch national team. Doesn't also have anywhere near the experience of some of the other players, but their strikers are not that great. I'm surprised that they stuck with the three or the five, two, one, two that they were running this entire tournament instead of going with the four, two, three, one. That kind of surprised me. Stick Memphis to pie up as a striker. That was what was working best with them. They had Ronald Koeman in there, but what do I expect? Frank DeBoer is their manager, not necessarily the most tactically innovative manager in the world, not a very good manager. Great player, not a good manager. He's living so much off the Ajax hype that everywhere else is, I don't know how he still gets a job. <laughs> to be 100% to be honest with you, I don't really know how he still gets a job. And here we are. Dutch, disappointing end to their Euro 2020 campaign. Thought much more of this team at this point in time than I did when the tournament started because I think I had them losing to Germany in uh, right before the semifinals and then like the next round, so I had them losing the next round in my prediction video, I, I believe. But yeah, not a great showing for them against the Czech Republic. Not not a great game whatsoever. Patrick Schick scored again. 
I think he's one goal behind Cristiano Ronaldo for the golden boot in this. Ronaldo has five goals. Schick has four, if I if I remember correctly. And speaking of Ronaldo, Ronaldo in Portugal lost to Belgium today, which is what we said would happen. I mean, it wasn't a very difficult game to predict. Belgium, again, the number one ranked team in the freaking world. Portugal, very shaky group stage, coming off a huge embarrassing loss to Germany 4-2, and then having a shaky performance against France. Kind of got bailed out by penalties in that game. <laughs> they scored two goals in that game were penalties. One of the goals against Germany was a penalty. They had the last five minutes against Hungary and exploded for like ten or three goals at five, ten minutes against Hungary. Not a comfortable win for Portugal in those games, or in that game. Three nothing, yeah, but look at the context of the three nothing, where it came and how they got it. It was like the last ten five to ten minutes of that first game. And then they ended up winning the game. Germany, the same thing. I don't know what to make of Germany, which is why it was so hard to predict the England game, but that game's coming up on Tuesday. So, very excited to see what happens in that one. I ended up going with England instead of Germany, like I did on the show, and I had England going to the final. And am I confident in saying that? No, not, not really. I mean, there's not a lot to go in on with England scoring two goals in the group stage of this, both by Raheem Sterling who is not, I mean, he's a great player on his day. He's one of the best wingers in the world. Undoubtedly, one of the best wingers in the world. Coming into this tournament, there is not a reason other than what we know of him. We're not judging him off current form because we were judging him off current form. I don't think he would have played a minute in this tournament to this point. Jane Sancho is the best winger the English have, and he hasn't played, what, he's played probably 15 minutes in this tournament. They're starting Bakayo Saka over him. And again, I like Bakayo Saka a lot. Saka a lot. He's a very versatile player, can do a lot of things for England. He play every position on the field if you ask him to and does a job there. He's not better than Jane Sancho. I don't know if that's a bias because Jane Sancho plays in Germany. He's the only one, only quote-unquote foreigner in the English squad. Every other player on that team plays in England. Jane Sancho, the lone one that plays in Germany. But we all know... He's going to be making the move back to England. He's coming to Manchester United. We are fairly confident in saying that. Fabrizio Romano, I, I would very much recommend you follow him on social media. He's like the big the big dude when it comes to transfers. He breaks all the transfer news. We talked about him during the uh, Super League thing. Remember when that was a thing? It feels weird that that was even a thing. He breaks all transfer news. So I would go follow him if you want to watch your favorite teams or follow your favorite team's transfer window. He'll follow all of them. He doesn't just tweet the big dogs. He'll tweet about some smaller teams as well. Wherever there's a transfer, Fabrizio Romano will smell it out, and he'll talk about it. And Jane Sancho, according to Romano, has never been closer to signing for Manchester United than he is right now. Once this tournament is over, we fully expect Jane, Jane Sancho to be wearing a Manchester United jersey. Marcus Rashford, similar thing. Coming in on tournament, on form, way better than Raheem Sterling. But Rashford's injured. Rashford has played a lot of games for Manchester United over the past year. He shouldn't start. He's not healthy. Now, if I'm England, I'm looking at this game against Germany. Now, knowing Mason Mount's out, that hurts. Mason Mount is undoubtedly one of England's best players. It's not even a question at this point in time. He was kind of a question when Frank Lampard was first the manager at Chelsea when Mason Mount was back. Because it was like, Mason Mount's kind of a teacher's pet. That was like the assumption around... Mason Mount and Chelsea and England was that he's just a giant teacher's pet. He's not that good. Turns out Mason Mount can play. <laughs> Mason Mount is a very good player. So with him out, 
I'm intrigued to see who plays that number 10 and how England's front four works. Because Harry Kane, I don't know if it's injuries or the transfer to Manchester City that we all think is going to happen. I don't know if his mind's just in another place. Because Jane Sancho, when he started this season for Borussia Dortmund, he was not playing well. His mind was completely absorbed by the transfer to Manchester United that it actually did not happen. It's been talked about for like the past three years. Didn't happen. Jaden Sancho's mind was completely on that. It looked like he was going, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's no longer happening. Maybe that's the thing with Harry Kane. He doesn't look healthy. Their set, pe- their uh, creation, chance creation has not been good for this tournament so far, which is why Jack Grealish, I think, is a must-start. But whether you play him as a number 10 or as a winger, a left winger, he should start. I think if we're going on, I mean, Raheem Sterling, I, it's hard to judge Raheem Sterling because of how good he is versus what he was last year. And if we're judging basically off what he did last year, it's hard to start him. But Gareth Southgate likes Raheem Sterling because you know what he can do when he's on. Same thing with Eden Hazard in Belgium. And Eden Hazard went off injured against Belgium, so we'll see how he is. If he plays against Italy, he had a hamstring injury. Kevin De Bruyne was out as well. He had an ankle injury. Let's see if they're back against Italy because that will be big in that matchup if they're both out. Big. (laughs) If they're both out. Man. But yeah. I don't know what you do if you're England. It's going to be a tough game. Germany plays a back three with two wings backs that have been very, very good. Arguably Germany's two best players this tournament, Goosens and Kimmich. They've been absolutely outstanding for Germany. Then you have a strike force with a false nine and Serge Gnabry with Kai Havertz coming off the left. Usually Thomas Muller on the right. Who'd they start in their last game? It wasn't Muller. That was kind of what surprised me that he didn't start. I don't remember who started for Germany on that left side. It's not really a, a 3-4-3. It's more of a, a 3-4-2-1 because Havertz and Muller, whoever they play at that other spot, are very centralized. It's basically like a 4-3-4-1-1-1. or three, four, one, one, one. That's what it kind of resembles. With Serge Gnabry being that false nine, kind of... Uh, fluid front three. All three of them can play the exact same position at any time. They can play as a striker, they can play as a winger, whatever. They'll play those spots well. It's going to be tough, and England's history against Germany is not great. And if you look at position by position, goalkeeper being a big one, you would take the Germans. And they've got more... You you look like Joshua Kimmich. Great player. Would he be the best player in England? Probably. Dude is one of the best players in the world. Versatility... Out the window. Right back. Center mid. Center back. Whatever you want to play him as, he'll do it and be the best player on the pitch. He scares me for England. He'll be going up against Raheem Sterling and Luke Shaw, one would suspect. But I would England play a back five? Part of me thinks England would drop back to a back five and play Trippier at right wing back and then Luke Shaw at left wing back. With a back four consisting of Kyle Walker, John Stones, and Harry Maguire. That's what my gut is telling me. Because that's what they did in the 2018 World Cup and they got them all the way to semifinals. In these big games where England's going to have to defend a little bit more, do they go with the back five? I don't know why we're talking about England so much, but it's a big game. Germany and England, massive game. And we're not going to have a show until Wednesday. So, got to talk about it a little bit. We'll talk about the game in full on Wednesday's show. But, man. Yeah, and the other game... That took place over this weekend was Italy and Austria. Really surprising how that game turned out. Austria came to play. They came to play. And they looked good. 
looked really good at times, but Italy was just proven to be too much. Didn't allow a goal, came close. Narko Anadovic technically did put the ball in the back of the net. Technically. Now, it didn't count for anything because he was offsides, but he did put the ball past Jane Luigi Donnarumma, which means they can be beaten. <laughs> and with a strike force, like I said in the, the show on Friday, with Lukaku, with Dries Mertens, with Kevin De Bruyne, with Eden Hazard, with Torgon Hazard, who scored an amazing goal against Portugal today. They're gonna have a, they're gonna have their hands full. They're gonna have their hands full, and, and Belgium's gonna have their hands full as well. Thomas Vermaelen Vermaelen started for Belgium today, which is freaking weird. I sometimes forget that dude even exists because he's been injured half of his career, and he started and was the best defender Belgium had today. <laughs> Toby Alderweireld, Jan Vertonghen. They played good because they're good defenders, but Thomas Vermarlin, for as injury-prone as he is and how in and out of the teams he's in, <laughs> it's surprising that he even started, let alone was the best defender on the day for Belgium. But yeah, that will be a very fun game, and I hate how that turned out, how we're going to have a matchup between Portugal and Belgium. The champs are out. The 2016 reigning champions in Portugal are out. And then now we're going to have to see either Belgium or Italy get knocked out. While on the other end, we're going to have either Denmark or Czech Republic in the semifinals. That's not, <laughs> that's not very poggers. <laughs> we need... It, it sucks how these knockout stages work. It sucks that Portugal... I mean, really, they disappointed. Out of the entire tournament, you could probably say they're the biggest disappointment out of the entire tournament. For how good their squad is, this team... And we said this in the video... This team shits on the one that won the, t the tournament in 2016. This current Portugal team is a thousand times better than the team that won the tournament. A thousand times better. Not, not even close. It's ridiculous how good this team is. They underperformed mightily. Did you expect them to get absolutely played off the field against Germany? No. No one did. They have a weird history against Germany, but still... Portugal should not, that should not have happened at all. <laughs> Ridiculous. And I, I heard this, I heard this was the first time that this was, they haven't made this, the quarterfinals or the last 16 or whatever since it got introduced, and in, not last 16 because we're in the last 16 now, but they haven't made it to the quarterfinals since 1996 or something since it was introduced. The first time it was introduced, they made it to the quarterfinals. Now they haven't done it with the best team on paper that they've ever had. Ridiculous. But that's what happens when you go up against Belgium and absolutely crap the bed against Germany. That's what happens. Now Germany gets to play England, like we said earlier. And that's going to be a tough game for England. But that's the beauty and the beast of winning your group and then having to play the second place team in the group of death. You're going to play a good team. But as the old adage goes, if you want to be the best, you've got to... Hope you said it right there. Beat the best. That's what you got to do. And if England wants to be the best... They're going to have to beat Germany. They're going to have to beat whoever they play in Sweden or Ukraine. Sweden. But Ukraine, too. And they're going to have to beat the Czech Republic or the Danes. Which is going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And England, on paper, have a very good team. They have a very young team. If Kyle Walker's your oldest player at 31, you got a young-ass team. Good team. Young team. The World Cup in 2022 is going to be a big, big tournament for England, and I'm intrigued to see how they do in 2022. Even though I have them going to the finals in this tournament, 
I don't that the, the only team realistically this team should be worse than is France or Belgium. Whichever one makes the final, England looking at their team on paper, England should not lose to any of the teams on their side of the bracket. Sweden, Ukraine, Germany, Czech Republic or Denmark. They should not lose to any of those teams. Now, why do the English do better than anybody else in world soccer or world football? Choke at major tournaments. They are the Kansas City Chiefs of up until now. Like you you look at the Chiefs throughout their history. They won the Super Bowl really early. And then it was just decades upon decades upon decades of constantly underachieving and messing up at the biggest stages. The Chiefs had an insane streak of losing at home in the playoffs. England had an insane streak until the 2018 World Cup of losing on penalty shootouts and losing to teams and losing games that they should never lose. Cruise through qualifying because they're always in the easiest qualifying group and the qualifying groups for Europe are very easy. Like, there's huge discrepancies between how good some teams are versus how bad some teams are. There's some bad teams that play in Europe that are in these World Cup qualifiers that the likes of England... Germany, France, Portugal, Belgium, teams that should never not make the World Cup because there's not very good teams in Europe that you should definitely be cruising past. But yeah, Chiefs, the English national team are the Kansas City Chiefs. And now, what do the Chiefs have? Very good team. England has a very good team. One of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL is Patrick Mahomes. Or the best young quarterback in the NFL, I should say. <laughs> he is the best. But one of the best young players in the world, Phil Foden. Harry Kane, the captain. One of the best strikers in the world. Arguably the best striker in the world. There is no reason England should not make it to the final. No reason. Unless they get upset on the lay by Germany or Ukraine or Sweden. There is no reason they should not be making it to the final. I know they struggled in the group stage, but Spain struggled in the group stage in the 2010 World Cup, and they ended up winning the damn thing and won three straight international tournaments. So I am partially confident and partially not confident about England in that their squad is too good to lose to any team in the knockout stage other apart from France, Germany, and or France, Belgium, and Italy. But... Belgium and Italy are going to sort themselves out, and I don't think France should have any problems beating Spain or Croatia, whoever they play in the next game, or even Switzerland. Now that I say it, i got to knock on wood, otherwise French people are going to be very upset with me. But yeah. Things I changed, I changed England beating Germany. I had Germany winning in the, the prediction thing I did on Friday. Had the Dutch make it to the final. Glad I changed that, but I had them losing one game before, so I guess that didn't really change anything in the grand scheme of the predictions. Because they still lost, still screwed up on points. Again, I'm upset that I didn't stick with my guns and go with Denmark because that was my pre-tournament prediction, and I fluffed it. And I'm upset by that. But you know what? Shit happens. And I'm scared for the Belgium-Italy game. As I said, you have Kevin De Bruyne injured. You have Eden Hazard injured. I'm nervous about that game against Italy now, more nervous than I was on Friday, now that I've seen what Belgium did against Portugal. Belgium have a tough-ass road to the final. Portugal, Italy, and more than likely France. That is an insane row 
of teams to get through. And that's what you get for playing in a group that had Russia, Denmark, and Finland. No disrespect to Russia, Denmark. I love Denmark. Belgium's better. They should always be beating Denmark. Always should be beating Denmark. But yeah, that's what I got. That England-Germany game scares me. Because England, again, does not have a good history against the Germans. Uh, and England has a history of disappointing at tournaments. So, uh, yeah. On paper, they should beat Germany. On paper. So, yeah. My knockout predictions that I did right before I put out the show was Belgium over Portugal, Italy over Austria, France over Switzerland, Spain over Croatia, then Sweden over Ukraine, England, Germany, Netherlands over Czech Republic, and then Denmark over Wales. Then the knockout stage, or the next round of the knockout stage, I had Belgium beating Italy, France beating Spain, England beating Sweden, and I should have had Denmark over the Netherlands. Didn't. Threw away my morals and what I had. Put the Netherlands through. And then I had France beating Belgium in a close game. The two top teams in the world at this point in time, according to the FIFA World Rankings. And England beating the Netherlands with France still winning the tournament. Because France are too damn deep to lose this tournament. Like, the difference between France and Belgium is very simple. France have a lot more depth than Belgium. Belgium has one of the best, if not the best, starting 11 in the world. Their depth is a massive issue. If you're still calling up Nasser Chadley and Thomas Vermaelen, and I know I said Thomas Vermaelen had himself a fantastic game today, doesn't change the fact that there's no reason he should be near the team. Their youth setup is not great for Belgium. This is really their last chance at getting a tournament trophy. Because their back three, all in their mid-30s. They ain't going to be, I doubt they're going to be at full fitness by the time 2022 World Cup rolls around. Eden Hazard's been a mess since he's been at Real Madrid with injuries and form and all of that stuff. But hey, you still got like Yuri Tielemans, Romelu Lukaku, Kevin De Bruyne's, I mean, not young, but class is permanent, right? With him, you could turn into, easily turn into like a Luka Modric or something like that. But Dries Mertens will be done. It's, it's going to be tough. Their back line's going to be weird. In the 2022 World Cup. One would predict. I don't know if they'll be able to run a back three. Probably a back two of Dedrick Boyata. And um, Jason Denier. Those two are probably the two best center backs they've got. After the. It's usually. It's just really Alderweireld and Vertonghen. I don't really include, include Vermaelen in that. Upper echelon of Belgian center backs. Even though he was at one point in there. Injuries. And where he plays now are kind of big factors in why I don't rate him as highly as I once did. Because he was a very good center back on his day. But France, depth on depth on depth. If you can leave players like Eduardo Camavinga and Diopa Makano and Ibrahima Kanate off your roster, you got, and Tio Hernandez, the arguably the better of the two Hernandez brothers, Theo Hernandez might be the best left ta- left attacking left back in the world right behind Alfonso Davies. And it, like... It's very close. Teo Hernandez can score goals at will from left back. But Luca Digne made it above him, which was kind of surprising. But Digne can create a lot of chances from left back. It's like a, a thing ingrained in Everton left back. So you have to be able to score goals and take free kicks as a left back. They always have a history of doing that. Leighton Baines being the latest one. And now Luca Digne. But yeah, Francis Deep, they're deep. France has got an insane pool of young players. Kylian Mbappe, like 22 years old? Ridiculous. 
They got a good group of young players just <laughs> ready to play. And they'll be a threat come 2022 World Cup as well. It'll be like Spain. They got some damn good players. Pogba's still relatively young. Conte can play as a holding midfielder for freaking ever. Goalkeeper will be a little bit of an issue. Hugo Lloris is by far their weakest player in their starting 11. Mike Mangan will probably take over for Hugo Lloris by the 2022 World Cup. Their back line, very young. Varane will be the next captain. Presnel Kimpembe, uh, Clemon Longley, Jules Koundé, Diopak Makano, Ibrahima Kanate, uh... They didn't even bring Samuel and Titi, who was the starting center back next to Varane when they won the World Cup in 2018. Benjamin Pavard's decently young. Who's their other back? Who's their backup right back? Jules Kounde, I guess, played right back in their last one of their last games because Pavard was hurt or had concussion symptoms or something like that. They feared he had a concussion. I don't know. Either way, France should beat Belgium. They are a deeper team than Belgium, especially since Belgium is rattling off their injuries right now. They're hanging on for dear life. Am I confident in that game over Italy? No, I am not confident. But since I made that prediction, I'll stick to it. I'm not going to change it. I will be, I'm, as le- I'm less confident than I was. I'd probably say 55% of me thinks Belgium will beat Italy. Still thinks that. Even though Italy has not allowed a goal in a freaking long time. But again, they haven't played like an insane group of teams <laughs> this undefeated stretch. They played a relatively easy set of teams in these games they've played but yeah Belgium should I still think Belgium should beat Italy still think they do they got their players that they have are better than Italy's best players like if you look at Italy's best players they're I mean Giorgio Chiellini Leonardo Bonucci are good players legendary players but they're older Belgium's got some older defenders but still got decent movement on them still Thibaut Courtois, at this point in time, is still better than Gianluigi Donnarumma. Romelu Lukaku is better than Chiro Immobile. Eden Hazard is... Ugh, that's, that's a tough one. But on his day, Eden Hazard's better than Lorenzo Insigne. Kevin De Bruyne is better than... I mean, they play different... I mean, they play on the wings, but... Berardi, who plays at Italy's right wing. Now, Locatelli, Jorginho, Barella... Verratti, they're going to start only three of those guys. But De Bruyne, arguably is the best midfielder in the world at this point in time. So, their best players are better than Italy's best players. If you look at the three best players on Belgium and the three best players in Italy, you should take the three best players on Belgium. Which are Lukaku, Hazard, De Bruyne. That's what I would argue. I mean, I mean, I know Hazard has not been great in recent months because of his whole form injury thing with Real Madrid. But he's still one of the best players in the world. He's a freaking captain, great player on his day. Yeah, I'm still confident in Belgium, I guess. <laughs> that whole that left side of the bracket is completely ridiculous. Belgium, Italy, Portugal, and France, and Spain are all on one side of the bracket where you have Sp- Sweden, Ukraine, Czech Republic, Denmark, and then England, Germany. I don't know how the hell that got morphed out, but hey, you know what? That's what happens when you have these big-time tournaments. But that's all I've got for you. For the soccer part of the tournament, at least I think that's all I've got for you, the soccer part of the tournament. But yeah, recap, if you didn't catch it, Czech Republic beat Netherlands 2-0. Belgium beat Portugal 1-0 by a beautiful strike from Torgon Hazard. And then Denmark beat Wales 4-0. And then Italy beat Austria 2-1. Now I stopped watching the Italy-Austria game after they went up 2-0. 
because Sporting Kansas City was playing. And they ended up beating LAFC yesterday, which is beautiful to watch as well. And then Austria ended up scoring, but it didn't matter. Great turn, really uh, good tournament from Austria. Pushed Italy really far, really far. Like they, they, There were times that they looked a lot better than Italy, but Italy caught him. Chiesa got that beautiful ball, chested it down, and really faced it down. It kind of hit him on the top of the head, and he put it down. Beautiful chop across his body, left foot strike, beautiful. Not a lot of goalkeepers in the world are saving that shot from Chiesa, and it was perfect. But yeah, Italy over Austria, Denmark over Wales, Belgium over Portugal, and the Czech Republic over the Netherlands. So we've got two knockout stage games confirmed. We have Belgium versus Italy and Czech Republic versus Denmark. Man, two completely different levels of national teams in those two, but I'm liking watching I'm I'm liking watching the Czech Republic and Denmark. I'm not going to lie. Like I said in the preview, there's going to be that one team that always surprises you. A lot of people thought it'd be Turkey. Now, I didn't think it'd be Czech Republic, but hey, we had them in the knockout stage in the preview. So, you know what? We'll take it. <laughs> we will take it. So, what I have in my pre- my preseason thing. I have the Czech Republic playing Spain. Because I had the... If you didn't have a certain group in to the knockout stage, it kind of screwed up everything else. So my one knockout team that I did not have was Ukraine, and I had Russia in instead. So... Or did I... Wait. I had Poland. Poland in there. Not Ukraine. I switched Poland and Ukraine around. So that kind of screwed up the rest of the seeding. So I had Czech Republic in there. And I had Denmark in the semifinals, which is going to be disappointing when they actually do make the semifinals because that was my pre-tournament. I hate things in hindsight, don't you? Hindsight's a freaking bitch, isn't it? <laughs> I hate it. Oh my goodness, I hate it. But man, oh man, oh man, before we get into the quarterback comparisons, NHL Stanley Cup final is finally here. Monday, June 28th, tonight. You get to watch the Montreal Canadiens take on the Tampa Bay Lightning. And on Friday, or on Thursday, I guess, before the Canadiens game ended, Montreal, La Canadiens, in the Centre Bill, defeat the Vegas Golden Knights 3-2 in overtime. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Lekkonen, beautiful one-timer to the top of the net. Not a lot of goalies are saving that. Caught Robin Leonard looking one way, sniped it up top corner. Beautiful goal. Gets the Canadians to the Stanley Cup final for the first time since 93. Good freaking Lord. Congratulations, Montreal. And I just think it's hilarious that both teams are technically both in the Sabres division. So the Sabres being as garbage as they are doesn't mean a lot because the two teams in the Stanley Cup final are both technically in the Sabres division. Even though they weren't this year, we don't need to look at what the Sabres did. And I did order my Danny Briere jersey, so that'll be coming in the mail soon. Very excited about that. But moving on to the other game, the Tampa Bay Lightning beat the Islanders 1-0. 1-0. Islanders came close towards the end. Fired a crap ton of shots towards Vasilevsky's net, but couldn't get it in. And the Lightning go on to the Stanley Cup again. And sadly, Patrick Maroon might have a chance to lift his third straight Stanley freaking Cup. Canadians, please beat the lightning i don't really care in all honesty i know the american side of me is like oh screw montreal screw canada we want the united states to keep that streak alive if it was any other team or most other teams i guess other than like the wild the blues the red wings the bruins the lightning the penguins any other team than those six (laughs) i would be 
pretty fine with uh, beating the Canadian team for the Stanley Cup. But the fact that Montreal is a group of really good young players, they have a really good spirit about them, very similar to the LA Kings team that won it in 2012, I believe, as an eight seed beating the New Jersey Devils in the final. Very similar team to that. Hope they can beat the Lightning, but this Lightning team is not like the Devils team. This Lightning team is better. They got a better goal, or arguably better. Not obviously, Martin Brodeur is the greatest goalie of all time. I'm not saying Vasilevsky is the greatest goalie of all time. But I think at this point in time, comparing the two teams, Vasilevsky's on an insane run right now. That's all I'm saying. I do not want to sound, I don't want people to get mad at me and go, Martin Brodeur, you're a disgrace for even thinking about comparing them. It's just talking about the season they went to the NHL Stanley Cup final. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But yeah, Zach Prize doesn't compare to Steven Samkos. I think we can all agree on that. But yeah, as far as captains go. But man, let's go Montreal. Never thought I'd be saying that. But yeah, let's go Montreal. Very excited to see what the Canadians can do. Yeah. 24-21 and 11 versus 36-17 and 3. Very fun. Very fun game. Monday night, 7 p.m. Central Time, NBCSN Stanley Cup Final is here. Is finally here. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Fun stuff. Can't wait to watch Stanley Cup Finals. It's the best postseason tournament in the world of sports. Absolutely love it. Can't wait to see who gets crowned champion. Hopefully it's Montreal. I know Canada's been struggling recently, the country of hockey. It's like, man, for a country whose national sports hockey, you're still getting beat up by a bunch of Americans whose favorite sports are basketball, football, and baseball. But yeah. Come on, Montreal. I know the Lightning are American, but hey, Tampa Bay already got a championship this year. Don't need them to get another one. I'm perfectly content with Tampa Bay not getting another championship in 2021. The Buccaneers were enough. They, they were enough. I could care less about the Lightning existing. I know they have a nice history. They've won two Stanley Cups, but could care less. Now, before we stop, before we get too deep in the hockey talk, let's do the quarterback comparisons things. I know we're dying for that, but you got to get the people waiting. You got to get the people waiting to get to the good stuff. You got to go, oh, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. Ah, psych. We're going to talk about soccer. Boom. Double middle finger, and then we go on to talk about soccer for 40 minutes. And then we talk about, oh, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. Oh, boom. Another middle finger coming out of a who knows where because I'm already holding up two. But here comes another one. We're going to talk about hockey. Now, finally, oh, we had that weird thing at the beginning talking about fast food. I forgot about that. Scented candle. Yes, we're here. Talk. We had the scented candle and everything out ready. This candle's been burning for a while. I might as well blow it out now. But I'm not going to because it smells nice. It's calming me down. Imagine if this candle wasn't here. It'd be pretty... Pretty amped up right now. This is not me amped up at all. Okay, it is. I'm sorry. But yes, we are here to talk about some NFL draft stuff. More quarterback talk because it's a position I know the best. I played it my entire life. Even though I wasn't the greatest quarterback of all time, I was pretty damn close. And I know what I'm talking about when I'm, <laughs> when I'm saying it. I've scouted the position enough times throughout my lifetime. I know the position well enough to know at least semi what I'm talking about. Okay, so you can hopefully trust my opinion when it comes to talking about quarterbacks and just the draft in general. If you looked at my draft comparatively to like Daniel Jeremiah, Mel Kuyper, Tom McShay, Peter King, all those big wig guys, mine was better by quite a bit, by quite a bit. Matt Miller in there as well from Bleacher, oh, I guess ex-Bleacher Report draft guy. We don't care about Bleacher Report's drafts anymore. 
Does anyone actually read Bleach Report articles anymore? The only reason I still have the Bleach Report apps for scores. That's really it. I I have no other use for it. I, well, I looked at it a lot in high school. But not really anymore. Could really care less about Bleach. I don't go on Bleach Report other than I want to go look at scores. Because I have a very easy scores tab. And you go through all your teams and stuff. That's the only reason I have that stupid thing. The only reason we have ESPN is for live sports. We don't watch ESPN shows anymore. We've talked about that before as well. But yeah. I think that... I don't know. It's just something different than the 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 corporate bigwigs of sports watching. At least I hope. But yeah, I think I, I think these predictions are pretty good. Or comparisons are pretty good. You might think they're complete bull bull crap, but and you you might gasp at some of them. But yeah. So I've added Phil Yurkovic into this top ten. I took out Tyler Show. I felt weird leaving Phil Yurkovic out before. But Tyler Show obviously going to Texas Tech. He has a lot of potential. You saw that at Oregon at times. Very a decently mobile quarterback, big dude, pretty big potential or a pretty high ceiling. One would hope he has a high ceiling. Going to Texas Tech, you would hope that gets unleashed. It, it led Alan Bowman transferring. He had a pretty good career at Texas Tech statistic-wise. He went up to Michigan. So I hope Tyler Show does well down in Texas Tech, down in Lubbock, but I, I didn't like putting Phil Yurkovic out. Most of it was because I forgot about him. And that's my bad. I apologize for that. I'm not... <laughs> I should be like Jay Williams and said I got hacked and they just didn't put Phil Yurkovic on there. That is the funniest thing ever, though. If you don't know what... I'm not going to go in the whole spiel about the Jay Williams thing. <laughs> about the, the Celtics hiring uh, their, their new head coach. But you can go on social media and find that. Apparently, Jay Williams got hacked. Yeah, totally got hacked. That's what I got too. I got totally got hacked for leaving Phil Yurkovic out of my list. But he is at number 10. Could be higher. I've toyed the the bottom three. I think you put in any freaking order you want, but they all have to be in here. I think Phil Yurkovic, Matt Corral from Ole Miss, and then Jaden Daniels from Arizona State. I think all three of those guys have to be in a top 10 list to some capacity. I think all of them should be down in the 8, 9, 10 range, but... That's my opinion. You could put Phil Yurkovic at 8, Jaden Daniels at 10, J- Matt Corral at 10. Who cares? Any order you want of these bottom three, I'd be fairly comfortable with saying. But Phil Yurkovic, for his comparison, I compare him to a young big Ben Roethlisberger. Not what we're seeing now. Phil Yurkovic is a big dude. Uh, 6'5", 226 pounds, 230, somewhere around there. Big Ben was bigger than that. 6'5", about 240, I think, somewhere around there. But could move. Phil Yurkovic... Because he's that big, you obviously don't go, oh, wow, very mobile quarterback. He's not like Josh Allen mobile when we're comparing like big quarterbacks. But he can move. He's very underrated in regards to his move. Strong arm. Very strong arm. Underrated athlete. Big-bodied quarterback. That is what Big Ben Roethlisberger was at Miami. And that's what Phil Yurkovic looks like. And the, the best part about that comparison Phil Yurkovich from Pittsburgh. <laughs> he probably he could have could probably have said he molded his game after Ben Roethlisberger, and I wouldn't put it past him. And I'm not saying he's exactly like Ben Roethlisberger. Do I think he should be a top four pick like Big Ben was thought to be? No, I don't think Phil Yurkovich's up there. He's a one year production at Boston College. He transferred to Notre Dame to Boston College, but he's a good quarterback. There, the, I would like to say this. I know I've said in the past this quarterback class is not on the face of it. It's not as good as last year's because of the fact there's no Trevor Lawrence oh, or the 2018 draft class with Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. 
Sam Darnold, Josh, big name guys that we all knew going into that season. This class is good. There's a de- decently deep class. Like you can throw a lot of quarterbacks into this number ten spot. We talked about Tyler Show, Emory Jones from Florida is expected to take a big leap after Kyle Trask left. He's a very talented quarterback. This is his first real chance at starting. He he's played quite a bit at Florida in like bit part roles, mostly in the running offense, but he can play. I'm excited to see what he can do. You got Michael Penix from Indiana. You've got Brock Purdy from Iowa State. Alan Bowman. Um, is there any other quarterbacks I'm really forgetting? There probably is, and I just can't. Der- Derek King. I can't believe I forgot about Derek King. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks in college football. Love him. So if you were expecting to see those guys on the list, I'm sorry I spoiled it for you. But there's good quarterbacks in college football this year. And I'm excited to see what Dorian Thompson Robinson's another one. What a really underrated quarterback at UCLA. Just on a very bad team. Very talented quarterback. But just on a very, very bad team. Those guys aren't on the list, but those are just some other good quarterbacks that are around college football that should get talked about in this draft, even though they won't because of it's you get toward you get past number eight, you're like, there's some good quarterbacks in here. And even the guys at ten, like Matt Corral, I have him at number nine. I compare him to Zach Wilson. He gets compared to Johnny Manziel quite a bit. At least Tim Tebow compared him to Johnny Manziel. Zach Wilson kind of got compared to Johnny Manziel, but I think Corral is a more similar version of Zach Wilson, a combination of 2020 Zach Wilson and 2019 Zach Wilson. So those of you who don't know, Zach Wilson, uh, the number two overall pick by the New York Jets, was a, had a very topsy-turvy season before he absolutely exploded this year for BYU. Didn't Wasn't great at controlling the ball or making great decisions, sometimes put his team in danger, but a very natural thrower, Athletic enough to make plays outside the pocket. Matt Corral ran for over 500 yards, if I'm not mistaken, last year. But there are times Matt Corral's like decision making like shuts off. Like you saw the game against Arkansas where he had six interceptions. The game against LSU where he had five, two winnable games for Ole Miss against two not very good teams. I know coming off a national championship, you go like, oh, LSU should be a good team. They lost everybody from that championship roster. And had a lot of injuries, most notably to Derek Stingley, their best corner, and the number one corner in the draft by a mile this year. But he has those little lapses. They're like, man, he's got the talent. If you're talking about ceilings, he has a very high ceiling. Matt Corral is an extremely high ceiling. He's got all the talent in the world. He can move, very natural thrower. Every everything he does just looks so effortless. But that's the problem at times. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't look like he's really. And the best thing to do is in football is not really think too much. If you overthink, and that you can say that in life too, if you overthink too much, you'll start, it won't be as good. It's not as fluid. You're going to start thinking, it's going to start leading mistakes. You overleak things, like, oh, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Oh, crap, I did that. I didn't want to do that. If you just play naturally, you're not thinking, you're just having fun. Matt Corral looks like he has fun out there. But those little lapses, and those two games in particular, are kind of nerve-wracking. But yeah, natural thrower, really strong arm, good athlete, can add them and make plays with his feet. A little on the smaller side, he's on like six foot one. Matt, Zach Wilson's listed at six three. Don't believe that for a second. And Matt Corral, like I said, can put his team in danger with some decision making. That's why I compare him to both 2020 and 2019 Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson's a beast. I, I'm excited to see what he can do with the Jets coming from a Bills fan. 
I'm still excited to see what he can do. They look like they have a strong, early, by Jet standards, an insane support staff around, <laughs> around Zach Wilson, who looks like he's going to be thrust into day one starter right away. The other quarterbacks aren't, I doubt they're really competing for the starting job, even though, like the Jaguars, we haven't officially named a starter. Like, we don't know Trevor Lawrence is going to be the starter. I'd be shocked if C.J. Beathard's not the starter. <laughs> if C.J. Beathard beats out Trevor Lawrence, that'd be freaking awesome. But I really doubt that. Same thing with Zach Wilson. Very effortless thrower. Great athlete from the quarterback position. He doesn't run a ton, but when he does, it's smart. He doesn't make a lot of stupid decisions. He knows how to get down and get out of the way and to avoid injuries. He, I think you could tell he learned that going into this season as he battled injuries before that. But yeah, Matt Corral, I think, compares to a mixture of 2020 and 2020, 2020 and 2019, Zach Wilson. Jaden Daniels, this one might get a little people upset. Get people a little upset. I'm going to compare him to Lamar Jackson. Now, I don't want you to say he's not as athletic as Lamar Jackson. If you look at their body types, when Lamar was at Louisville and Jaden Daniels now, very similar in body types. Six foot three, but uh, buck 85. That's what Jaden Daniels is listed at. Lamar Jackson got to the NFL after his rookie year, went hard in the gym, which led him to win a unanimous MVP. Went hard in the gym, put on a lot of weight, looked really good, looked filled out a little bit better. But at Louisville, really skinny dude. Really skinny dude, which has led to the stupid people going, oh, moving to wide receiver, moving to running back, moving to whatever. And then it was like, we forget how he, how strong of an arm he had at Louisville. We just forgot that. Jaden Daniels is not as athletic as Lamar Jackson. But he's a great athlete. That dude can move. You look at the game against like USC, the first game of the 2020 season. He had an iffy year, but that was a lot of players in the, the Pac-12 this year. A lot of players in the Pac-12 had iffy years. Keen Slovis put up good numbers again, but at times looked... Very suspect. Looked a little inconsistent at times. Jay and Daniels, similar thing. Jay and Daniels, though, does not... The thing that I like about Jay and Daniels is completion percentage numbers are not great. Lamar Jackson had completion percentage issues or accuracy, quote-unquote, quote issues coming into the NFL draft. Jay and Daniels, I think his best completion percentage is 60%. I could be wrong about that. But he doesn't turn it over. Quarterbacks that don't turn the ball over are very fun quarterbacks to have. Now, Jane Daniels is going to have to keep upping his production in the passing game and the run game, like getting more touchdowns like that. But comparatively, I'm not saying he is. This is one thing I wanted to clarify when I made this stupid thing. He is not Lamar Jackson, okay? He's not Lamar Jackson, but he is very similar skill set to Lamar Jackson. We've talked about this before on the show. Like, Sam Darnold, and this is the example I always use, Sam Darnold is, a more t- is more talented than Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield is the better quarterback. There's a difference between talent and actually being good. Like Ravel Morrison at Manchester United, one of the most talented players at the team. Where's he now? He was at Sheffield United for a little bit randomly, and I think he's playing over in Mexico now. Like... You can have the talent. Jordan Love has the talent of Patrick Mahomes. That was talked about during the draft. Doesn't mean he is or will become Patrick Mahomes. He does similar things. That's the same thing with Jaden Daniels and Lamar Jackson. Slender build, 6'3", 185. Is that a concern? Maybe. Time will tell. Really skinny quarterbacks. Tall and skinny quarterbacks. It's hit and miss. Really hit and miss. Really athletic. Now, he's not as fast as Lamar, but he can move. 
Watch the USC game in 2020 and the Oregon State game in 2020 to see what I'm talking about when he's using his legs. And go watch the game against Oregon in 2019 when he went up against Justin Herbert, kept Oregon out of the college football playoff. That was probably his best game in college. My dad and I watched that downstairs in our basement, watching this freshman quarterback ball out against, I think they were the number six team in the nation at the time. I'm not 100% sure, so don't quote me on that. Look me, look that up for me. And yeah, those three games are very good games to watch of Jaden Daniels. Now, pretty strong arm, inconsistent accuracy. That's the same thing Lamar had and still has in the NFL. Now, I think the arm thing kind of died off a little bit for reasons you can, uh, whatever you want to call it, how that you can use your imagination on why I think why they don't talk about his arm strength anymore. But coming in the NFL and watching him at Louisville, dude had a strong arm. That's what Jaden Daniels is. JT Daniels, another Daniels, not related, that I know of, compared to Josh Rosen. Okay? Josh Rosen at UCLA. <laughs> not Josh Rosen in Arizona, Miami, Tampa, and San Fran. <laughs> not that Josh Rosen. Good Josh Rosen. Josh Rosen and JT Daniels, two California kids, very hyped up. JT Daniels is Jason McIntyre, who I don't... I'll say this as a little <laughs> precursor. Don't try to pay attention to a lot of what Jason McIntyre says. I don't really like listening to what he says because he doesn't... At times, it's like, do you, do you really know what you're talking about? He had JD, JT Daniels getting dropped first overall in his first mock draft. That's a similar situation that we had with, like, Sam Darnold, too, where we're going off hype more than anything, more than actual, this is what he is. You cannot honestly tell me, going into last year, you thought Sam Darnold was... But we're not doing that. I'm not getting into that conversation again. I've done that too many times. I'm losing brain cells over that conversation. But California kid... JT Daniels, obviously UC, USC kid, now at Georgia. Josh Rosen, UCLA kid. The quote-unquote most pro-ready is a, a quote that I really don't like, but that's what gets thrown around with JT Daniels. Very pro-ready. Strong arm, quick processor. He's a very smart dude. But <laughs> does, that, does that really mean a lot? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Most pro-ready. I don't really know what that means anymore. Josh Rosen was the most quote-unquote pro-ready, most quote-unquote ready to start in the NFL when he got drafted in 2018, and now he's on his fourth team in four years. Very great pro-ready stuff there. Got benched and traded after his first season in the NFL, which is a little unfair, but hey, that's called karma. And the other thing that really compares these two together, injuries. JT Daniel lost his starting job at USC because of injuries. Josh Rosen had a lot of injuries at UCLA, and the other thing that really hurts these two, or hurts JT Daniels, that dude, I saw this quote, and I think it's really funny. He said, oh, what did he do? A meat statue. That dude cannot move. 6'3", 210, slender dude, tall and slender, much like Josh Rosen, strong arm, really smart, can process quickly, pro-ready, can't move with an injury history. Those two are, that's my comparison for JT Daniels, is Josh Rosen. I had Sam Darnold there just because of the hype thing, but Sam Darnold can move. <laughs> JT Daniels cannot. I don't know if you've ever watched JT Daniels. I have a few friends from William Penn that are from Atlanta that are Georgia fans. JT Daniels is not the most fleet-footed character in the world. <laughs> he is a meat statue. That dude cannot move. Good Lord. But he can He can make some nice throws. I'll give him some credit. He can make some nice throws. Do I think he's going to be the number one overall pick as I sit here on June 27th? Not at all. But you know what? Stranger things have happened. I don't think on June 27th in 2018 or 2019 I was going to think Joe Burrow would be the number one pick. 
And look what happened. We'll talk about Joe Burrow in a little bit on this list. Number six, Carson Strong from Nevada. I know a lot of people out there really like Carson Strong. Big dude, strong arm, comparable to me to Matt Stafford. I think they're very comparable quarterbacks. I think by build, you could probably compare him to like a mixture of Matt Ryan and Matt Stafford. He's not as like bulky as Matt Stafford. He's six foot four, about two, what was he, 220, 215, somewhere around there. But really strong arm, can put a ball anywhere on the field. He's not an insane athlete, but he's not like Mr. Meat statue back there, JT Daniels, that just can't move. Carson Strong can move decently. I'd put him somewhere in between JT Daniels and Phil Yurkovic. Somewhere in there. Like, not an insane athlete, but not a statue either. If that makes any sense whatsoever. But Stafford, very tough dude, can make throws all over the field, insanely strong arm. He does, Carson Strong does have a decently fast release. I'm not going to say it's Matthew Stafford or Phillip Rivers-esque fast release or Dan Marino-esque, but it's fast. But the arm talent is there, comparable to that of Matt Stafford, and people really like Carson Strong. Really like Carson Strong. I haven't seen enough of Carson Strong. He's really had that one-year production at Nevada, and I honestly, being from Iowa, we've talked about this before. It's hard to watch a lot of the Mountain West Conference teams or the Pac-12 Conference teams because they're on at 9, 10 o'clock here. And Mountain West games are on CBS Sports and then some other bootleg network that I can't find. We don't have CBS Sports on my TV, so I can't really watch Nevada. But I'm going to try. I'm going to watch him more. I've watched a lot of stuff on Carson Strong. But I want to watch him in an actual game, like see what he actually does throughout a game setting. I know, obviously, you go on YouTube, watch all the highlights and stuff. Watch little bits of actual film you can find. But it doesn't. Re- it's not the same as in a game because they'll cut up highlights and cut up some film to benefit. Because like, the thing is, everybody looks good on highlights. That's why they're called highlights. But Carson Strong has all the intangibles you look for. Big, strong quarterback with an insanely strong arm that could put the ball anywhere on the field. The competition... Could be an issue, but the past few years, that hasn't really affected anything anymore. You have Jordan Love, Zach Wilson getting drafted in the first round after playing Mountain West teams and then North Alabama. But they're talented, so you draft them in the first round. Same thing with Carson Strong. Matt Stafford, I think, is a fair comparison for him. I think the build-wise looks more like a Matt Ryan, but he has a stronger arm. This is why the Matt Stafford thing comes into play. Uh, Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati, I think it's Trey Lance. Very early comparison, <laughs> Trey Lance just getting drafted this year and only really one college season. I've watched a ton of Trey Lance. Trey Lance playing at North Dakota State. I was up at UNI. So you follow the FCS a little closer when you go to a school that has an FCS football team. That's just the nature of the beast. Trey Lance is awesome. Trey Lance was my favorite quarterback coming into this draft. I love how raw he is. I love that he's like putty. You can just mold him whenever you want. And that's what Kyle Shanahan will do, which is awesome to think about. Kyle Shanahan having Trey Lance and molding him into this beast of a quarterback. At least I hope that's what happens because I think Trey Lance is an awesome person too. So I want to see that happen. And Ritter, very similar things to Trey Lance. Very physical quarterback. They're bigger dudes, about 6'4", 215, both of them. I think Lance weighs a little bit more than him. I think Lance about 220, maybe 225, somewhere around there. But Ritter, two very physical quarterbacks. They're great runners. I don't think Ritter is as fast as Lance, but he can make similar running plays. Cincinnati has some running plays in their offense designated for Desmond Ritter that are similar to that of what North Dakota State does with Trey Lance. Now, North Dakota State, insane running offense. 
South Cincinnati, all right. Run. I mean, they're not known for their run offense. To me, I, I could be completely wrong. Cincinnati fans might go, we are known as the best running team in the AAC. And I'll go, well, Memphis has had some pretty good running backs over the years. And I don't know if that's really true, but maybe you're right. I don't know. I, yeah, I watch mostly the quarterback. <laughs> I apologize for that. Desmond Ritter is a good quarterback. And Jesse Palmer, or Jordan Palmer, really likes him. And if Jordan Palmer likes him, I'll like him as well. But physical quarterback, great runner, strong arm, inconsistent accuracy at times. That was Trey Lance's issues. They were quoting that he had accuracy issues going into the NFL. So that was somewhat of a concern for scouts and fans and mock draft experts, like we say, quote-unquote experts. That's That was some things that were said about Trey Lance. Great arm, great runner, inconsistent accuracy. That's Desmond Ritter. And I'm excited to see what Cincinnati does. They're going to have some decent expectations placed on this year. They had a good year last year. Hopefully Desmond Ritter can maintain what he did last year as opposed to the season before. He had a, he, he's kind of gone up and down in his Cincinnati career. He's scheduled for a down, but hopefully he goes that up, down, up, and then up again. Like Ryan Matt, this is a weird comparison, but Ryan Matthews, running back for the San Diego Chargers and the Philadelphia Eagles, most notably from the Chargers, had a good year every other year. He started off bad, fumbled a crap ton, got injured a bunch, and then 1,000-yard season. And then 700-yard season. And then 1,200-yard season. And then 700-yard season. It's like, oh, man, he's up to the, the he's going back up again. Nope, 500-yard season. He gets, go to, goes to the Eagles. I hope Desmond Ritter goes from up to down to up to up again. But you never know. It's a very unpredictable thing, college football, and just football in general. But if I had to compare him to anybody, Trey Lance, I think Cam Newton's there as well. But Cam is a lot bigger than Desmond Ritter. Cam obviously being like 6'5", 6'6", 240, 50 pounds. Desmond Ritter not that big yet. <laughs> I think the fair comparison right now is Trey Lance. But same thing. I mean, Cam, strong arm, physical quarterback, good runner. Same thing. Inconsistent accuracy. I think you get on either one there, but I think size-wise it fits more with Trey Lance. But uh, next one, number four, Keaton Slovis, Joe Burrow. I had Kirk Cousins here as well, but I think Joe Burrow fits it better. If you look at the past two most accurate quarterbacks in college football, maybe not necessarily statistically, but just watching the throws they make, it's Joe Burrow and Keaton Slovis. Both were number nine, which is just perfect. works out so beautifully for this comparison. Insanely accurate is the word I would like to use or phrase I would like to use for Keaton Slovis and Joe Burrow. Insanely accurate. They don't have the most insane arms, though, but there's not a throw that Joe Burrow would not make for LSU, and the same thing goes for Keaton Slovis. Now, Amon Ross St. Brown, no longer there for USC, which is going to be big, but it's Keaton Slovis. I still expect him to have put up a good year. He didn't have Michael Pittman last year, and at some points it showed. Again, Slovis put up good numbers, but there were times it was like, it doesn't look good. You don't look healthy. There are some reports that he had some issue with his arm, which I would completely understand because he did not. There were times he didn't look very good. My dad said he was making fun of me the entire time we were watching USC Arizona because, oh, he, your guy didn't look very good, Logan. Guy don't look very good. It's like, dad, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, he doesn't look very good. <laughs> but Keaton Slovis is an absolute beast. Joe Burrow, one of my favorite quarterbacks, and I think one of everybody's favorite quarterbacks in college football history. I would like to say that, oh man, I love Joe Burrow, but he's everybody else's favorite quarterback too. It's not really saying a lot that you love Joe Burrow because everybody did. It's hard not to like Joe Burrow. Underrated athlete too. 
Keaton Slovis is not the most fleet-footed player in the world, but neither was Joe Burrow. But Joe Burrow would make a lot of plays with his feet. He would extend plays. They won a lot of games when he was that starter in the 2013, not 2013, when they went 13-0, won the Natty, or 15-0, whatever their unofficial record was. He won a lot of games, obviously with his arm, but he extended drives because of the what he could do with his feet. I don't know if Keaton Slovis is as good of an athlete as him, but I think the accuracy and the arm talent is very similar. And their stat sheet suffers. Keaton Slovis puts up good numbers in every single statistical category because Clay Helton is so reliant on him to move the offense. Graham Harrell, I mean, if you want to look at statistics, Graham Harrell don't get much better than stat sheet stuffers than Graham Harrell, and he's Keaton Slovis' offensive coordinator. So it makes sense that uh, Slovis puts up good numbers while at USC. I think Kirk Cousins is a fair comparison as well. Underrated athlete, underrated arm talent, uh, very accurate. Kirk Cousins gets a lot of hate, though, and I don't think a lot of people will be as excited to see Kirk Cousins here as opposed to Joe Burrow. But, I, I mean, they're very similar in styles of quarterbacks, those guys. Good, very good accuracy. Jeez. <laughs> very good accuracy. Solid arm. Not the greatest arm of all time, but you don't need to have the strongest arm of all time. Look at Tom Brady. doesn't have the strongest arm. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. Joe Montana didn't either. But, and he gets really overhated. So I would have gotten a lot of hate for putting <laughs> Kirk Cousins there, even though it is a good comparison for Keen Slovis. But I think Joe Burrow is a very good comparison as well if you look at the accuracy. All the stuff I've already said. Great stuff. Love Joe Burrow. Love Keen Slovis. Number three, Malik Willis from Liberty. Already made this comparison before, so you should know exactly where I'm going with this. Michael Vick. Sure, you can call it a lazy comparison all you want. I don't really care. This dude makes very similar plays. On my Instagram and Twitter, I put up a video that does, it's a side-by-side, or I guess it's underneath and above, of Malik Willis and Michael Vick plays. I had four plays on there. Two, what was it? Two? No, it was four plays. Definitely four. Wow, now I'm, I'm second-guess myself. I think it was Four? I think it, was, it might have been two plays for those two. Exact same thing. It helps that Malik Willis wears number seven. It helps that he's from Atlanta. He's not that big either. He's about six foot one, two fifteen. But it's not like the weight helps him there. If he was like a buck eighty, that would hurt him a little bit. Similar size to Vic. And the things that I compare to him mostly with Vic are the arm talent. Strongest arm in the class, I would argue. I know Spencer Rattler's going to have something to say about that. I know Carson Strong's going to have something to say about that. But to me, I think Malik Willis has the strongest arm in this class. Michael Vick gets talked about for all the plays he would make with his feet, and rightfully so. Vick, his arm talent, and I've talked about this a lot on the show, and it was Michael Vick's birthday the other day. Happy birthday, late birthday, Michael Vick. His arm talent is one of the more underrated in the entire history of the NFL. Entire history of the NFL. Michael Vick has one of the strongest armor had. I don't know if he still has... I mean, it's uh, he hasn't played in a while, so I wouldn't expect him to have the same arm talent, but insane arm. But the problem was, that insane arm talent would coincide with uneasy accuracy stats because Josh Allen did the same thing his rookie year. Josh Allen goes, I have the strongest arm ever. Same thing Vic did. Malik Willis is guilty of this at sometimes as well. I'm going to try and fit it in every hole I can. I can fit it in every single hole. Sometimes you overthrow or you put it too far, the receiver can't head it, catch it. Malik Willis will need to work on, I don't know what you want to call it, toning it down a little bit. That's one of the issues, I guess. Tone down the amount of 
torque you put on the ball, he throws it freaking hard. That dude has an absolute laser of an armor, absolute hose, absolute snot rocket, whatever you want to call it, Malik Willis has it. And then to couple it with that, he's the fastest player on the field at all times. There's not a lot of players in college football that are faster than Malik Willis. There's numerous plays you can watch. The game against FIU, I got the timestamp. You got the third and seven, 9.06 left in the fourth. Okay, I know before you watch it, you're going to say, well, Logan, he got caught from behind. Okay, but watch what he did before he got caught from behind, and you'll understand why he got caught from behind. Uh, just an insane runner, insane athlete. And this is a different comparison than what the losers make of Lamar Jackson and Michael Vick. The only thing that's relatively close about Lamar Jackson and Michael Vick is their athletic ability. Lamar Jackson's bigger than Michael Vick. Lamar Jackson's arm is not as strong. Lamar Jackson is a more accurate passer than Michael Vick. Sure, they are very fast quarterbacks. Malik Willis is the same height as Michael Vick, has the same arm talent as Michael Vick, has the same issues, I guess, with accuracy as Michael Vick, is as athletic and as jolty and as quick as Michael Vick. I'm not, I don't want to sound like this is an insane comparison because it's not. I don't, obviously, can compare to Vick, who's built up this cult hero status, much like Bo Jackson, where it's like the superhuman things that he did. Our generation's version of Bo Jackson, pretty much. You can't believe some of the things Michael Vick did. You never saw it before at the quarterback position. Malik Willis can do that. You can look at some insane throws that he's had. One of the best throws I've seen him make was against UMass. First and 10, 447 left in the second quarter. Watch that throw. Catches the snap. Defender comes untouched off the left side. Doesn't even really have time to gather himself and just launch the ball in stride for a touchdown on the left sideline. Beautiful. Play from Malik Willis. Beautiful. So don't go crying that I compared in the Michael Vick. I've done this before. It is a good comparison. It is a lofty comparison, but it is a good comparison between the two quarterbacks. Strong arm, great athlete, same size. These are two very similar quarterbacks. Do I think he'll be as good as Michael Vick? Time will tell. That's a very high bar to reach because Michael Vick in his prime, and even if Michael Vick in Philly was the same as Michael Vick in Atlanta, we might be talking about one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Sadly, we're not talking about that. He's a he's a legend at this point, but not in like NFL legend. He's more of like folklore and stuff like that. Will he be in the Hall of Fame? No. Does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? No. But he deserves to get talked about and as a great quarterback as he was. He's not a Hall of Famer though. I'm sorry for all the Vic fans out there. I'm a Vic fan as well, but he's not a Hall of Famer. He won't be, but man... If Philly Vic was the Vic we saw for the entire career, guaranteed Hall of Famer, first ballot, no doubt. But yeah, he's got a lot of other things that we're not going to get into on another reason why he won't make the Hall of Fame, right, wrong, or otherwise, he won't make the Hall of Fame. Uh, I kind of separated these last two in 1A and 1B because they're, I've started looking at this a little bit harder and go, okay, because before I was undoubtedly going, okay, Sam Howell is the best quarterback in this class. He's most consistent. He's put up the same numbers throughout his entire college career playing at North Carolina. He's the best quarterback in this class. But then you look at it again and go, okay, let's look at the potential of these two quarterbacks. One, for Sam Howell, we'll start with him first, gets compared to Baker Mayfield. Number one overall pick, played at Oklahoma, put up great numbers at Oklahoma, won a freaking Heisman Trophy. Great player. Loved Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma. Loved Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma. And Sam Howell is a pretty much direct clone of Baker Mayfield. They even look alike. With the helmet on, 
If you threw an Oklahoma jersey on Sam Howell, you might get confused with Baker Mayfield. They play the exact same. They're both stocky and build. They look freaking just like brothers. They're almost identical in that respect. Very accurate. Very consistent. An underrated athlete. They can both move. That was one of the concerns when Baker Mayfield got drafted, but he can make plays with his feet. Maybe not as much now as he did back in Oklahoma, but he can still make great plays with his feet when called upon. I'm not saying he's going to rattle off a 40-yard touchdown run like Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson, but he can make plays with his feet. He's a capable athlete. Same thing with Sam Howell. Now, time will tell if Sam Howell is as good as he is was the past two years without the likes of Diami Brown, Chaz Newsome, Michael Carter, Javante Williams. Those are four very good players that are just gone. All four of them got drafted. Two running backs, two wide receivers, gone. Arguably the best running back tandem in college football, Javante Williams and Michael Carter, arguably. I, if someone else has an argument for that, I would love to hear it, but that's my take on that. The best running back duo in college football is Javante Williams, Michael Carter from North Carolina. That will hurt a lot. <laughs> I've always said quarterback's best friends are running games and a pass-catching tight end. Because pass-catching tight ends can drop down and just sit between coverages, sit, get like a nice five-yard five yard gain. Really nice confidence booster for quarterback, young quarterbacks. But Diami Brown, Chaz Newsome, losing those two, it's not going to be easy. Those are four very good players. You're going to have to replace. you got to remember, this is North Carolina. This ain't Clemson, Alabama that have five stars waiting in the ring to replace five stars. No, 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 no. I don't know if they're going to have the same players, but Sam Howell is a good quarterback and very consistent and very accurate. So I don't think his numbers will drop off significantly, but I'm expecting a tiny bit of a drop off. But still, one or number one or number two quarterback in this class, don't care. And in Rattler, the comparison for him, and a lot of people are not going to like this, especially where I live, the state of Iowa, Patrick Mahomes. It's not that I think he will become Patrick Mahomes. It's a similar thing I said about Jaden Daniels and Lamar Jackson. Similar skill set to Patrick Mahomes. Insanely strong arm. Cannon. Effortless thrower. Flick of the wrist and it goes 50 yards. Easy. That's the same. Patrick Mahomes and Spencer Rattler are very similar in that. Can contort his body to make every single throw on the football field. Comes from a very pass-happy offense. Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma... Then you had the Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech. That's what we had here. <laughs> and then a good athlete can make plays on the ground. The only difference is Rattler's not as big as Mahomes. Mahomes about 6'3", 220. I don't know what he really was coming out of Texas Tech, but Rattler's 6'1", 205. Rattler, I could see it. I know why Iowa State fans don't like him. I understand that. I, he's not... I'm going to not say... <laughs> I, Iowa State fans have said enough about Spencer Rattler for me, but I like Spencer Rattler. I understand why people are nervous about him. He got benched against Texas. He has very good games, but he looks very inconsistent at the same time. Like against Texas, you don't get benched, but then he he gets benched right before halftime, then comes out, and then leads him to a victory over Texas in, what, four overtimes, three overtimes, something like that? Dude can play. Play the position. The size thing is an issue, and the consistency thing can be an issue. But... This year, myself and everybody else are expecting him to go off this year. And he'd be kind of crazy to think he won't. Second year under Lincoln Riley is the full-time starter. Dude should go off. I'm fully expecting that. That He has too much talent in there not to go off. Again, talent. 
We'll see if he can prove that he is a very, very good quarterback this year, and deservingly so, of that number one overall pick. Because I think it's a two-horse race at this point in time between him and Sam Howell, who are just two completely different styles of quarterback. Sam Howell is a very consistent, accurate passer. Spencer Rattler is an insanely talented but inconsistent quarterback. I think Spencer Rattler is the higher ceiling out of the two, as i.e. compared in the Patrick Mahomes versus Baker Mayfield. But that's my opinion on it. These are just comparisons. I'm not saying these guys will become these players. I just say they have similar skill sets to these players. And I hope you listen to this and understand that and don't just read this and go, oh my God, Spencer Rattler's not Patrick Mahomes. No, he's not, but similar skill set. They do very similar things on the football field. You have to look at that. Regardless if you like Spencer Rattler or not, and coming from the state of Iowa, I know a lot of people don't like Spencer Rattler. <laughs> I know a lot of people don't like Spencer Rattler. But I hope you look at it like that and not that I'm comparing him directly which well, I guess I am, but I'm, I'm not saying he is Patrick Mahomes or will ever become Patrick Mahomes, but that's what I'm thinking at this point in time. So running through the list again, we have number 10, Phil Yurkovic, compared to a young Ben Roethlisberger from Miami of Ohio. Big body quarterback, strong arm, underrated athlete. And he's from Pittsburgh. Number 9, Matt Corral from Ole Miss, compared to Zach Wilson from 2019 and 2020. Effortless thrower, really strong arm, very natural thrower of the football. Good athlete, can make plays on the ground. He had 500 or so rushing yards last year. But like 2019, Zach Wilson can make some really weird decisions at times. That's the, i.e. the six interceptions against Arkansas, the five interceptions against LSU. Moving on to eight, Jaden Daniels, Lamar Jackson. Again, he's not. I'm not saying he'll become a unanimous MVP in the NFL. But slender build, six foot three, one eighty five. Great athlete. Watch games against USC and Oregon State. Has played well against bigger opponents and in big stages, i.e. versus Oregon in 2019. I would very much recommend you watch that game. Pretty strong arm. Lamar Jackson, a pretty strong arm coming out of college, and now we seem to forget about that. And accuracy issues. Jane Daniels has some accuracy issues. He doesn't turn the ball over, but at times he's a little inaccurate on his passes. Year three as a starter with a full season. Last year for the Pac-12 was weirder than anybody else in college football. Still put up decent numbers. Put up good numbers on the ground, but we're going to see him need him to improve as a passer. Number seven, JT Daniels, Josh Rosen, Cali Kid most quote-unquote pro-ready out of all the quarterbacks in this draft class. Strong arm, quick processor, slash pretty smart quarterback. Slender build, 6'3", 210. Injury history, if that's a concern, time will tell. And then not mobile. Borderline statue, i.e. meat statue. <laughs> it's just a sack of meat, pretty much. But yeah, I think that's the best comparison for him. And that's not a bad comparison. UCLA Josh Rosen was a fun quarterback to watch. NFL Josh Rosen, eh, it's pretty... It's pretty <laughs> Pretty damning comparison for a young quarterback, but Josh Rosen from UCLA. Carson Strong, Matt Stafford, really strong arm, great ball placement. Not an insane athlete, but again, somewhere between Phil Yurkovic and JT Daniels. More body of Matt Ryan, but strong arm like Matt Stafford. Quick release as well. Number five, Desmond Ritter from Cincinnati compared to the Trey Lance. Physical quarterback, great runner, really strong arm, accuracy issues. Similar things to Trey Lance coming out of the NF- coming into the NFL this year. Some accuracy concerns, but great runner, physical quarterback, great arm. Same thing with Desmond Ritter. Hopefully, he stays consistent and goes off what he did last year as opposed to two seasons ago. Number four, Keaton Slovis, Joe Burrow. Uh, insanely accurate, underrated athlete. Can make plays with his feet when called upon. Decent arm, but can make every throw on the field if asked upon. Same thing with Joe Burrow. Doesn't have the strongest arm but made a lot of great throws while LSU that not a lot of quarterbacks can make. 
And he's a stat sheet stuffer. He has a very high completion percentage, throws a lot of passes, a lot of yards, and a lot of touchdowns. That's what Joe Burrow was. Keaton Slovis is just like that. Number three, Malik Willis, Michael Vick. Cannon for an arm, strongest arm in the class, in my opinion. Insane off-balance throw. You can go watch that against UMass, like I said. First and 10, 447 left in the second quarter. That's the game I would recommend you watch for that throw. That throw. Watch that. It's an insane throw. Inconsistent accuracy can sometimes be caused by arm strength. Again, strongest arm in the class. Doesn't have a lot of playing time. First year as a full-time starter at Liberty last year. He's going to need this year a lot. He's going to be on the national stage quite a bit because people are going to be talking about him a lot. Uh, is faster than everybody else on the field. That was what Michael Vick was. Can make plays out of absolutely nothing. Great ad-libber, i.e. Florida International, 2020, 3rd and 7, 9.06 left in the 4th. Insane run. Like, not a lot of people can make, and you can watch a Michael Vick run. That's the exact same thing. Like, it's a great... I I, I like this comparison. It's a very easy comparison to make just watching him. And size concern, 6'1", 215. I think the size concerns are pretty much out the window at this point. Kyler Murray getting drafted first overall. Baker Mayfield getting drafted first overall. Zach Wilson getting drafted second overall. I think size concerns and where you play are kind of getting thrown out the window at this point in time. Sam Howell, Baker Mayfield, stocky build. They almost look like freaking brothers. Very accurate, very consistent, underrated athlete. Not the strongest arm, but good arms. I'm excited to see what Sam Howell does with new running backs and new wide receivers this year. This will really test, and we will see how good of a quarterback Sam Howell really is. And then Spencer Rattler, Patrick Mahomes, can make every throw on the field, absolute cannon for an arm, effortless thrower, flick of the wrist, the ball goes 50, 60 yards easily, uh, can contort his body to make every single throw on the football field, comes from a very pass-happy offense, like I said, Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma, Cliff Kingsbury, I believe, Texas Tech, good athlete, can ad-lib very well, can make plays with his feet, can escape the pocket, make throws on the run, great athlete, great ad-libber, and then size concerns, possibly. 6'1", 205, he's smaller than Malik Willis. Doesn't have the same athleticism as Malik Willis, but has an absolute hose for an arm. So, time will tell on how those comparisons really work out, but we're June 27th, 2020. June 28th from when this goes out. So, we're, we've still got time for these quarterbacks to build up, and we might have a completely different comparison by the time 2022 NFL draft comes around. It could be completely different than what it was before. But you know what? That's neither here nor there. While we're sitting here right now on June 27th, 2021, this is what I think. And you could have completely different opinions on this, but that's just what I think at this point in time, comparing each quarterback to a specific quarterback and why I think they compare to those guys. I'm not saying they will become those quarterbacks because there's a pretty lofty standards here, but very talented quarterbacks we got here. Might not have a Trevor Lawrence of this group, but very good quarterbacks nonetheless. I hope you enjoyed this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Uh, I thought it was geez, a very fun show. There's the Culver's <laughs> coming out finally. But I hope you enjoyed the show. I thought it was a very fun show. Talked about a lot of soccer. Talked some hockey. Got some of my NFL draft stuff in there. And had a little zen moment at the beginning of the show talking about Culver's, talking about Arby's and Canes. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. If not, I'm sorry for that. Don't know what to tell you. But make sure you give this a nice rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And while you're there, go and follow the Apple Podcasts and Spotify account. Go follow me on all forms of social media on Twitter, Instagram, and go like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and I will see you all later. Peace.